hello and welcome to The Run-In. We are now on episode six. How did we get that far? Um, and uh, we've got loads coming up uh, in the podcast. We will have a chat from Charlotte Watson as she prepares to run at the World Championships in about a week's time. Of course, all the build-up for the World Championships as well. We are going to be recapping some of the things that have been going on in the last couple of weeks, I think, starting with the six days. Yeah, so you were at the um, six days, Catherine. I chose to miss it this year. I didn't quite have the holiday from work to to squeeze it in, sadly. But it looked like a pretty successful competition all round. Yeah, it was really nice. It was really real, like mixture of terrain um, from things like Craigie Barns, really, really tough, like difficult underfoot open, some really nice runnable open as well. And um, then the Grantley on the last day, which is a very white forest just running down the hill from there. So I think people enjoyed the big mixture of terrain. I mean, I certainly did. I managed to get out on three of the days to go and pre-run the courses, um, which was really, really useful. And they got a little indication because, um, of course, I was uh, doing the live stream there. Um, so, yeah, th- actually, I should say, like, thank you to everyone who came up and had a chat to me and said how much they're enjoying the running. Um, we're, like, really glad for your feedback and everything. So it was, yeah, really nice to hear you're, you're enjoying it and the live stream as well where we were like trying to focus on different age classes, trying to give more of a spread of what orienteering is about and not just not just focus on the elites as often happens with the GPS tracking and the cameras and the live stream and everything. Um, we had some really, really nice interviews with all sorts of different people who were some some who you know been orienteering for ages and it was a really big competition for them some people who just trying to beat their club mates some people who'd never really gone to the, no had never gone to the six days before and and people who were there because they they go all the time and it's a great opportunity to meet up with friends who they want to chat with all the time and they don't they don't get to see at any other occasions so it was really good to get that really big breadth of like what orienteering means to lots of different people Mm. I think the Scottish is always fantastic for that, isn't it? It's when you start going as a kid uh, on your family holidays and you build up to maybe taking it a bit more seriously, but it's always got that really nice holiday vibe to it, a bit kind of a bit more low key than the O-ring or something like that. Where especially if you're an elite, you're going to maybe focus a bit more on the racing. But the Scottish, you've always, you can always have good, a good time and have a couple of beers and just chill out in the summer. And I don't know, this year maybe it was a bit more more tough because the area seemed a lot more physical than the last couple of years when it's been on Royal D side and in space side. So I I guess the, everyone had a bit more to like a bit bit more on their hands than the last couple of years. Because from what I could see, and and I know some of the areas were brand new and newly mapped, it looked pretty physical. I know Craig Barnes, I've got some horrible memories from the JK in 2012 there. Um, but I know, how, how were people kind of pulling up during the week? Were they falling off cliffs or, or were people kind of managing with the terrain quite well? Uh, I say it was a, a big mixture. I think like definitely day one, people found that quite a struggle with um, the complexity and being thrown straight into that Scottish forest. And then day three, which was the first middle distance day, that was also a world ranking event day. Uh, that was the first one that I actually pre-ran and I've been at Lagunier the whole week before running in Scottish terrain but I found it quite a shock it was quite marshy and sorts of it w- it was never like flat underfoot even if you were running along the flats if you were lucky enough to find a bit of flat to run along then it was it was never easy underfoot and um but but the, I mean it was it was really such a mixture and 
you really had to be on top of your navigation to be able to adjust to that mixture of terrain. It's still, even if it is more physical, it retains that festival feel. It retains that family friendly, you know, meeting up with old friends kind of feel to it. And even if people, you know, were were more competitive, they're still hopefully having a good time. And it was, um, it was we we had some good weather there as well. I don't think it rained at all on any of the the competition days it did on the rest day um as i was going around the trailo i decided to, to have a go at the trail orienteering and i got caught in a shower there but for the rest of it um it was it was like quite um it was really good weather actually oh wow that is quite surprising because in the midlands it was not nice weather so there we go scotland was the place to be clearly it really was so um so yeah as, as i mentioned before we had world ranking events um there uh, days three and five which were middle and long distance and a lot of some of the people using that uh, as a little bit of a preparation for the world championships so uh graham griswood and cat taylor won both of the world ranking events uh peter hodkinson was second on the middle distance world ranking event he didn't run the long and um a whole host of others were there too like lizzie ingham who's new zealander she actually won the the week overall she did every single day of competition and chris smithard uh he won the men's overall despite um carrying a little bit of an injury as well so there wasn't like super loads of elites there but um you know it was great to see that some of the athletes who are going to the world championships next week could really uh use it as part of their terrain maybe have a have a little bit of a break from the norwegian terrain that's what some of them were feeling and also have some race preparation to go through the motions and actually feel like even if they weren't taking it 100 percent, they could take it 85 90 percent maybe that they you know haven't haven't been doing recently and they could just get in that race mode yeah and that's definitely a key thing they're going to be looking for in the build-up uh, between test races and world champs because it's about you know five six weeks and if you don't race at all during that period you might get a little bit stale so you want to put your body through through its paces and get it up to speed of where you're going to be able to push that bit harder and get your body kind of mentally into a different zone um so for yeah for Gigi and Kat that'll be a really key part of their preparation and and as you say it's slightly different underfoot maybe but it's going to be just as tiring especially for Gigi for the long mm. um and uh, like getting himself into that state where he's going to be running hard for 90 to 100 minutes, that's really key. Um, you know, just doing that final real hard effort kind of 10 days out, he'll probably taper down from this point and, and ease into the championships. But you know, good to see that they took a couple of wins. Nice to see Lizzie you know, running strongly again. We mentioned her at the JK and that she was kind of coming back from um, a really invasive heart surgery over the last year or so. So it's nice to see that she's obviously clearly very strong now, racing like back to back over six days. Really, really, really good to see. And nice to see that Sminty's coming back well from the injury that he picked up at Tiamila. He got a stress fracture in his foot somehow, I think, on long nights. So the fact that he can, again, same as Lizzie, put six days in rough terrain back to back is uh, is really nice to see. My predictions, again, didn't pay off. I said that Matt Elkington was going to win it, and I clearly cursed cursed him because he fell over a couple of days before it started and uh, managed to cut his hip open and was in in hospital getting some stitches Ooh. so yeah um sorry matt i know i know that he listens and i'm just gonna <laughs> apologize to him um but yeah it, it, it was nice to see for me nathan lawson in second overall mm, yes no, he's not had the easiest of years 
on the mental side of it with orienteering, kind of piecing it together technically. So it's nice that he could you know, string some re- results together and looking good for OD for next season. So watch out, people, at uh, JK and British next year. I'm going to be coming for you. <laughs> Lay down the mark now. Yeah, it, it's now out you got to follow now. it up. It. Oh, it's oh. a prediction. It's going to go wrong, but there we go. <laughs> um, and actually, I want to move on to another competition that's been that's been going on in the past week, which um, maybe a lot of the foot orienteers won't know about, maybe won't have heard about. It's the World Mountain Bike Orienteering Championships. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. I, I kind of had no idea that this was going on. I'm, I'll hold my hands up. I am completely oblivious to, to this side of our sport. I don't really pay too much attention other than kind of what I might read in, in Compass Sport if, if it pops through my door. Um, but you've done some comprehensive notes for me so I can actually gain an understanding of it, Catherine. So thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Do you want me to explain the sport to you? Yeah. First I, I, of all, yeah, shall, I, expl- shall I let you know how it works? To people who might not kind of know too much about it. So, um, it's like orienteering, but on a mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, uh, yeah, it's orienteering on a mountain bike, but the map looks slightly different. So maybe they've removed some of the detail. They've kept all the contours. They've kept most of the vegetation on there. But the paths look quite different. So you have, uh, it's marked where the paths are, wide or narrow, and then the rideability, whether they're easy, middle or difficult, or really, really difficult to ride on. And so the paths, yeah, they're, they're marked like that. And in most countries, you have to stick to the paths. There are some countries where you're allowed to go through the terrain, but for for almost all the nations, you have you have to stick to the tracks and the mountain bike tracks and everything uh, as you go along. And then basically, basically, it's it's a course like that. So a lot of the navigation is about making those route choice decisions with based on your knowledge of the of the, the you know, contours, any climb, the rideability of the tracks, the distance, and everything to decide what's going to be best. And and sometimes that involves making sure you riding straight on at a control, so you don't have to turn around and go back the same way because that saves you a couple of seconds as well. So that's that's the sport in a nutshell. And um, there were at the mountain bike champs, there was a sprint, middle, long, mass start, and relay. So it kind of sounds very similar to the mindset you might have in a sprint orienteering race foot orienteering that kind of do you carry on through the control do you turn back and, and how you're saving your time based on your the runability of your route choice less than so quite different to forest orienteering where you're you kind of you're picking a route straight and that's generally the, the quickest way yeah yeah and and you're doing all this whilst you've got a, a map board on your handlebars one that turns around so you can keep your map orientated and you're going along terrain and it's bouncing around you've got to try and keep your eye on where you are and everything it's um yeah i've had a go because i um com- i um emily benham actually did a couple of trainings for south central junior squad like ages ago and i've also commentated on the world champs a couple of years ago so i managed to have a little go and it's 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 really it's really exciting okay excellent and emily benham as you just said won four gold medals during uh during the week in the sprint the middle the long and the mass start pretty impressive very impressive um pretty astounding actually i think she went in there in in to the world championships with an aim of maybe getting one long uh, poss- one gold sorry possibly two and and ended up with all four winning the mass start by just six seconds and you've got to put 
all this in context, uh, she had a baby on the 27th of December. So baby Jenny, seven months old, with her mum riding the World Championships. The fact that she's able to get that recovery and then be, you know, the best in the world at the individual, you know, in those individual ones was, uh, I mean, just absolutely astonishing. I think uh, Emily, from what she's saying on Instagram, has just uh, astonished herself with, with those results. Putting that that um schedule of races together as well i think that's what she was a bit concerned about being how her body would cope doing all five events in that week um i think she she's just i think being blown away yeah no that is that is truly amazing and uh, obviously congrats to her on on both having having a baby and, and getting the four goals it's just fantastic and i think she's obviously got quite a few golds in the past as well. I'm not sure if this makes her one of the um, best mountain bike orienteers ever, but certainly one of the best orienteers in the kind of orienteering sphere that Britain has ever produced. Oh, absolutely. I think she's up to like eight, eight golds, I think now. Um, I might be one out either way, but uh, it's fantastic. But we, we don't want to just talk about Emily. We also want to talk about Claire Dallimore, who won bronze in the sprints, the first event. Fantastic result from her. She was then 27th in the middle, uh, another podium in the long distance, sixth place and 18th in the mass start. And, um, you know, uh, working full time, uh, try, I had a chat to her in Wales like a month ago and she was uh, she wasn't seeming too confident about the about the training that she'd done and about how her fitness was ahead of these um, world championships but I mean she's absolutely pulled it out of the bag with that bronze and sprint yeah no that's absolutely fantastic yeah yeah and and then uh, they managed to have a, a relay team which is amazing uh joanne pickering was it doing her first uh international event uh she went out on first leg in the relay out in 13th claire pulled up to 12th and then emily pulled up to, to fifth so another podium result there for the team which is not I a mean, bad week for the brits no not a bad week at all um and yeah just i mean the, the fact that that there are three women who were able to compete in those World Mountain Bike Championships is fantastic that they could pull together in that relay team and get the fifth place is, is, is really to be highly, highly commended. It's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And then the, uh, the only man competing for Britain of the week was Ian Nixon. Sadly, apparently got his bike stolen from the roof of his car when he was attending the prize-giving ceremony. Yeah. So he had to race in his spare. Yeah, the, the spare bike was also on the car roof, I've heard, but that one wasn't stolen. Oh, so he's out, out there competing. Uh, yeah, gets his main bike stolen, has to compete on the spare bike. Um, yeah, and had seemed to have, I think, pretty pretty decent competition out there on, on in the men's class. Well, he would have had a lot of rage to help get him round the courses. <laughs> yeah, bike rage. Yeah, oh man. Well, that's that's incredibly annoying for him, obviously. But no, congrats to all the team over there at um, at the World Mountain Bike Orienteering Championships, and hopefully the the foot orienteers can try and emulate what they did because it's a tough act to follow. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that those going to the World Championships, they have a lot to draw on with both the obviously the the Junior World Championships relay me- uh, well medals overall, and uh, and these World Mountain Bike medals. So yeah, it's not yeah, been fantastic. Not a bad summer for GB so far. No, well, we'll see. We'll see if that continues into the World Championship, shall we? Hopefully. And Hopefully. then there was uh, another major competition on over the last couple of weeks was um, O-Ringen over in Sweden. So 
We gave a bit of a preview of it in the last podcast. Um, five days, so just a day shorter than the Scottish six days, and it's a chasing start on the final day for every class. Um, so the winner is the first one in on the final day. And uh, looking at the elite results for the women, it was a pretty dominant win by Tove Alexanderson, 33 minutes faster than Sarah Hagstrom in second place. Yeah, that's across the whole week, yeah. But over five stages, in which one of them is a sprint or and another is a middle distance, is just a ridiculous gap. It's not really fair, is it? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you can say, really, to that. It's just, it's just incredible. And she probably won't be going 100% there, either. Yeah, because yeah, five days full-on back-to-back is, is quite intense, just a couple of yeah. weeks before... Before, before walk, walk. but yeah. I mean, I, I guess for her, does it really matter? She can probably do that and recover in time. She's, I don't know, completely different to everyone else, isn't she? I, I don't <laughs> think the same rules apply. <laughs> no. Uh, and and the Brits, um, who who was best on the women's? Uh, I'll be Charlotte Watson, who um, we're going to be hearing from later on in the podcast. So she was um, 18th on the first stage top 20 it's fantastic this is one of the pinnacles of the Scandinavian season so uh, they all go in there this is their major summer competition if they're not going to the world champs so they're all trying to hit it as hard as possible and overall she held on for 19th so yeah, very impressive from Charlotte bodes well for a couple of weeks time absolutely and what about in the men's so the men's we had not again my prediction was incorrect um, we did not have Johan Runsen at the top of the list. We had Ruslan Glebov of Ukraine, who runs for OK Ravinen. He was just a couple of minutes ahead of Emil Svensk, who in turn was about a minute ahead of Albin Riederfeld of OK Linné. Um, Emil Svensk is looking pretty good for Wok, I think. He uh, he came mm. past me in the Wok test race, actually, on the on separate course that the Swedes are running compared to ours, and he looked very strong in the terrain so i think the fact that over five days he's doing it consistently when predominantly he's been a sprint orienteer in in the past that's been his better discipline he's doing it well in the forest now he's won eucla with his team Storatuna. so watch out for him at world champs i think but yeah ruslan glebov winning winning the men's very impressive from him he's kind of been a bit of a nearly man over the last couple of years maybe in the in the world champs he was fifth last year in the long i think um very close to a medal not quite getting it so this year really really could go and grab a medal at the world champs is clearly in very good form um yeah and and then i think we had a group of juniors as well go over uh they just have having some fun after after jaywalk uh yes yeah, so we had the jaywalks british team over in um sweden at o-ringen as well and they were looking yeah just a bit of fun and downtime after quite an intense season preparing for jaywalk and obviously getting such good results that they did have so um, Grace Malloy is carried, carrying on her very good form, eighth overall on the W20 Elite, and Laura King was the next best Brit in 33rd as well. So, yeah, Grace still obviously running very well, and that those guys from the junior team will be focusing now on Jack. So probably have a couple more weeks downtime and then pick it back up for the end of September, start of October and um, see what they can get at the last internationals of the year. But no, very good to see them still still competing strongly, even though they're just out there having some fun. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Will, I've just done some Googling, found Ruslan Glebov got uh, the one silver medal in the long distance in ah, Latvia in the summer. Um, I wasn't commentating on that one, which is why I couldn't bring it up that, you know, straight to mind. But um, so... Uh, yeah, he, for a long time he's been a nearly for a, for a long time he's been a nearly man. But I think, 
yeah, you know, that result from O-ring and, you know, means he could be uh, could be on for something good at the World Championships. But but we never really know how people are racing these these events immediately before walk. And, and actually, um, I was chatting to Kat Taylor. She said, at this point, she can't get any fitter immediately before the World Championships. What she's got to focus on is not getting injured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good point because you get to the final couple of weeks before and you... It is quite tough. I find it quite tough to force myself to taper down for things because I don't like the feeling of losing that routine. And, mm. and a few people don't like that. I know Chris Jones, certainly, he, um, he, he loves his routine. He loves his consistency. Sasha Chaplin, he doesn't believe in tapering down for things at all. But it, it's quite a fine line to play it between, as Kat said, you can't get any fitter. So you might, there's no real point in really pushing the training but if you do anything stupid, it will happen in the next couple of weeks. And it, now will be the time we will get injured. So, yeah, I think people won't be going full on like down the descents and over the rocks and things like that just in case. Because there's no yeah. point yeah. In, in breaking themselves right now. I agree with that. Uh, so we're going to um, chat a little bit more about uh, the World Championships in a bit. First of all, let's hear from Charlotte Watson. She's been selected for the long and the relay at the World Championships. Uh, so I caught up with her to find out how her preparations were going. So Charlotte, first of all, um, let's have a look, start by talking about the World Championships, which are, of course, very, very soon. You've been selected for the long and the relay. At the moment, how, how are you feeling about the championships? Yeah, I'm really excited, actually. Um, I've been living in Oslo for the past year, so had a really good opportunity to train in similar terrain and some good training weekends down in Oswald. Um, and I've run the long every world champs have been to and done fairly similar every time and there's always been things like you know I wish I could have worked on a little bit more and I feel like I've managed to work on some of those things this year so um I really like the Norwegian terrain as well and um, so I'm really excited about it and to get the opportunity to run the relay for the first time is really good and I'm also really excited about that I think we've got a strong team um and um, yeah, it was last year at the World Cups, there was a relay as mm-hmm. part of the World Cups in Norway. And I really enjoyed that and felt I really managed to run well there. So that gives me a bit of a confidence boost going into the relay as well. So um, just like looking at the selections, um, did you decide to opt for the relay instead of the middle distance? Because you did quite well in the selection race for the middle distance. So I'm I'm. I've I've been speculating about how it's worked behind the scenes in terms of those selections. Do you want to fill us in? Um, oh, yeah, okay. Um, well, I guess it was like I got asked which races I wanted to run and I had thought a little... I'd kind of never really thought about doing all of them because I've only ever actually been selected for one race at WOC and <laughs> last year was the only year when I ran two races at WOC because um, I was reserved for the log and called up. And I thought a little bit, little bit about it, but I've never really managed to perform yet at a senior world champs as I'd wanted to. I thought, you know, maybe it's best to kind of do two races. I know I can do two races and it works better for me to have more races than just one, like mentally for both of them. But doing every race, I think, would have been a bit much for me. Classic thing for me is to try and do everything and then do fairly averagely in everything. Um, so doing less, but is better for me, basically. Yeah, sounds like 
that's that's well thought through and yeah very very few people i think will be doing all three uh races at the world championship so sounds yeah sounds like a good decision so what so what kind of like prep and training do you do in the last couple of weeks before the world championships um well this last week i was at o-ringen and that was mainly to just get you know a few races under my belt and practice um kind of having a race plan or knowing how I wanted to orienteer in a race and doing that in the race. Particularly the first day was quite important for me because, you know, at Wok, you, d- you have to be ready on the first day of your first race. Um, and that was my best race at O-Ringen, so I was pleased with that. Then now I'm back in Oslo after being at O-Ringen last week, so over the next two weeks I'll just do some kind of short, fast trainings and some final orienteering trainings at the weekend in Oswald. Um, my parents are going to visit, so <laughs> I've dragged them, roped them in also to coming orienteering with me and we might go like do a little bit of cycling around Oswald or go to the coast or something there as well. So that'll be fun to relax a bit as well. Yeah, that's, that's really important, that relaxation before the championships. Yeah, no, it really is because I think one thing I have realised this year, I've been working as an au pair in Oslo and you have a lot of free time and which I wanted to use for training, obviously, but when you can't train all the time and then when I'm not training, I always, like, I find it difficult to sit still. I'm always like, oh, what else can I be doing, Um, orienteering-related or not? But I think what I've learned maybe in the last few months is, like, you know, the time between trainings is where you need to just relax and rest and some of the the time, so... And particularly before walk, um, Mm -hmm. it's important that I manage to do that because the thing I have struggled in, in what week is the past is just having so much time and I'm like oh what do I do yeah lots of time in like quarantine and post races and everything how, how yeah how do you feel that time well for me it kind of helps that if I have something else that I'm doing you know in the weeks leading up so mm. it's kind of been different things at different times for example a few years ago when I was still at uni uh, before the World University Championships, I was just working in Edinburgh, so having work kind of helped me fill that spare time when I wasn't training. This year, I'm moving straight to Bergen to begin studying again straight after work, so I'm kind of sorting a lot of stuff out to that. But it's important that like things like that I have to do and I organise like in my spare time, but then from probably middle of next week, I'll just, like, whatever isn't done, I just won't bother about, and I'll figure it out after, because... There's a kind of like need to switch to think about walk and walk properly, like being in the right place. And so, um, you said you moved to Norway last year working as no pair. Is was that with the world championships in mind? Uh, what influenced that decision? It was with the world championships in mind. It was also so finished university in 2016, and that was in Edinburgh, and I really liked living there. But there, I also had the opportunity to go to. Uh, um, Canberra for six months to do the orienteering scholarship a bit like Ralph and Ralph Street, Peter Hodgkinson, Peter Bray, Will Gardner have done. So I went there with Katie Reynolds and then came back and then my boyfriend who had been finishing his degree and by the time thought it was really cool looked really cool and as and he wanted to go to Tasmania and I also really wanted to go to Tasmania so we did that from 2017 to 2018 and got back from mm-hmm. that and trained for Latvia and then I was like okay what to do now don't really know and I still didn't really know what I wanted to do as a career or with my life so I was like well 
better try and figure something out. I got this um, job through Delphine Poirot, who's a club mate in La Marca, mm-hmm. uh, my Norwegian club. And I was like, well, I'll go to Norway, be a no pair, train for the world champs and figure out a more concrete plan forward. Because I know if I want to get better at orienteering, it really helps for me to have a more stable lifestyle than I have done <laughs> since uh, finishing uni. And it's been absolutely brilliant. Um, there's really good training and really nice family who are very supportive. They're actually coming to watch the walk relay, which will be fun. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, that was a very long answer to how I ended up with that decision. No, interesting, interesting. Um, so what do you like most about living in Norway? It's just a very varied country, I would say. So in Oslo and around Oswald, there's great orienteering. Mm-hmm. But then also on the West Coast, which I haven't had the chance to explore so much really, but really looking forward to doing that after walk, is, um, you know, a lot of big mountains, um, fjords and things which look really awesome. Um, I found the people very nice and welcoming. And, yeah, it's a quite a relaxed country. It's hard to explain, to be honest. Um, I think <laughs> one of the big benefits, actually, of being an au pair the first year was actually quite a good move because... Um, with an au pair contract in Norway, they have to um, pay for a Norwegian course. Um, mm. The family I live with, I also just talk Norwegian all the time with. Um, and I started doing that from day one. So it's such a much better way, a very good way to learn Norwegian. And now I feel a lot confident speaking Norwegian and don't, it's helped a lot just, you know, making friends and like, um, yeah, with organising trainings and just getting to know people has really helped. Because um, I actually lived in Sweden as an au pair between mm-hmm. uh, school and uni. And then I couldn't... Well, the family wanted me to speak English and I couldn't speak. It took me longer to learn Swedish and I found it quite difficult there to... Well, it just took me longer to learn it and then become a bit more integrated in the mm-hmm. community and stuff. Mm. And, and what do you miss about home, about the UK? So it's quite interesting, actually, because I haven't really lived in the UK since I left uni. I've been back, you know, in the summers a little bit, but was also been travelling for orienteering. I think what I've realised is that I, the Lake District, where I come from, is one of my, basically my favourite place. I'd really like to move back there one day. Um, and I think what I really miss probably is fell racing, actually. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the orienteering is also really good, but I never really, when I lived there, actually... I did a bit bit of fell racing, but not lots. But I think what I'd really like to do if I moved back to the UK is a lot of the fell races and like, especially in the Lake District where you can, in the summer, go around all the shows and like there's fell, race, fell races midweek and at the weekends. I think I'd really like to try doing that. Is there no kind of a equivalent in Norway or, or anywhere else you've been? I think there is actually um, on the West Coast. So I'm also looking forward to doing a bit more of that after walk. But they also, it all seems to be like uphill only races which oh, okay. is good fun, I guess, but I also really like the downhill. Like, it's kind of what motivates me for the uphill, is the trying to go downhill as fast as you can. Yeah, that's it's, a, it's like a technical skill going fast downhill as well, you know? You're missing out on if you're going all, the, all uphill all the way. I'm not really sure what their reasons are behind it. Maybe I haven't been to the northwest coast so much yet, or, like, the west coast of Norway so much yet, but I think maybe it's, I guess, in... Not that this really seems to be a factor in planning of UK fall races, but possibly a bit rougher terrain and I don't know what their 
I don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> um, so let's go back to, to something you said earlier. You said you really like the terrain in Norway. And um, I think we can see from from walk and, and people started to go for a walk it's those that are spending lots of time in the terrain that 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 have a been selected and b are probably going to do quite well at the world championships so h- how important do you think it is that really that that training so frequently in, in that similar terrain yeah i think it's certainly given me maybe a little bit more confidence going into this world champs um, I think really with any terrain for world champs, just spending time in the terrain, you know, really gives confidence. And I've realised, I think, probably over the last few years that you kind of have to do that or plan that well in advance because mm. doing it the week before, you really want to be on the start line, have done races in the terrain, like a number of races in the terrain, for me at least. And But I also think particularly the people that have been selected for walk this year were really lucky that when they were juniors they went on Halden tours so actually a lot of us have learnt to orienteer in Scandinavia in the terrain that the world champs is in so you know it's like and it was interesting because I was actually listening to one of the podcasts today the one with Kat Taylor and Mm -hmm. how she was saying at the end of the day orienteering is actually quite simple you know we've all orienteered for at least 10 years and we've all had really good races and the skills don't go away you just have to but it can just like how you're mentally fe- for me how I'm mentally feeling or like how I maybe training's been going can can affect how I use those skills or how kind of how they come to the forefront of my mind and how I'm able to use them in the moment sort of thing. But I think yeah, I think prob- particularly it actually last year at the World Cups in Norway. I hadn't had, it was like only three weeks after a complete disaster at the walk middle. And I was like, okay, you know, really what happens now doesn't matter. You've, it can only go better than the walk middle. And, um, you know, I've orienteered in this terrain both, yeah, both with British orienteering tours at that time when I was a junior and also uh, with Northwest Junior Squad because we went to Frederickstad every two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do actually know a lot about orienteering in this terrain so I think it's just reminding yourself of the things you know and like yeah before championships it's just reminding yourself of the things you know like what you've learned over the past year that gives me a lot of confidence you know I think back to like where I was when I arrived and where I'm now and maybe just go over some good races in my head and I think that if you've got some good races you can go over in your head or trainings in the relevant terrain that can that really helps me. Yeah, I can see that. And and I think I was reading your blog earlier and you said you uh, enjoy this type, type of terrain and also like the the really long legs and sticking on the line on the long legs. Yeah. Um, I guess probably because staying in contact with the map over a long period of time, like when I'm orienteering, is something I've really worked on the last few years or the la- this last year. Um, so I feel confident in doing that. But I don't know, I just, I don't know, I just really do enjoy it. And I like, tougher terrain suits me a lot better. So it's like, even if you do, I don't feel I'm running that fast, I know that I'm running okay. When I'm orienting best, I'm completely in the moment and just focusing on like what I'm doing in the very next second. And I find I'm really able to do that on the longer legs. So, and I really enjoy that because it's like, 
yeah, you just don't need to have to think about anything else other than what you can see in front of you. And it always usually in this terrain looks really nice and, you know, there's like some nice marshes and nice open hill and a bit compared to like Latvia last year when it's like, oh, more green in front of me and more branches. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think um, I think some people would say on the long legs, they, they struggle to stay concentrated that whole time and maybe feel distracted. So I think it's it's good that you that you feel that, you know, that, that you, you can keep that concentration and you actually enjoy being forced to, to, to stay con- in contact with the map for, for such a long time. I don't know. I think that's just one of the things I'm... Probably one of my stronger points in orienteering, I would say. Yeah. Do you think that part of that is, um, you know, growing up in the Lake District, your, your love of that tougher terrain? Probably. Or maybe. I don't know. I think <laughs> I've been very lucky as a junior that I had... Um, Liz Campbell I've always had Liz Campbell as my coach since I was mm-hmm. 15 and she was really really good at teaching me how to orienteer and um, you know but also very good mentally um, kind of helping me work out where I'm strongest what where I'm like not as strong at and how I can be better and things like that so um, yeah I don't know it just has always been one of my strengths so I don't know really why but um I've just we've just always my whole family's just always been outdoors and gone on like walks and running and cycling and stuff so I think yeah tell me a little bit about um your experiences um coaching in Australia and and what you got out of that yeah oh well I absolutely loved both experiences um so as I said before the first summer I went I was with my friend Katie Reynolds from uh uni and we were in Canberra coaching what do we do we did yeah so we kind of organized four to six week uh blocks of like different programs so one was um for kind of people who already orienteered one was for new beginners and one was for specific specifically for girls and then we also coached in schools um Mm -hmm. i'd say i got really did get a lot from like coaching both for my own orienteering and you know how you communicate um ideas or concepts of orienteering to people is can be quite difficult um or it makes you really think about how you explain things and how you would actually and it's still something that I have to work on continuously it's like how you would practice you know you might explain like an idea but what you maybe forget some what I sometimes forget is like you might say oh so you need your attack point here and then then when you get to your attack point make sure you know where you're going when you get into circle but you need to you always need to make sure, you know, maybe they don't know what an attack point is or... I mean, obviously, you'll have an idea based on the level of the person you're coaching. But also then, whatever concept it is you're trying to explain, it's like, how do you actually do that in terrain? Or, like, when you're orienteering? And that's also important, I think, in your own training because it's, like, all very well saying, like, oh, I need a attack point to every control, but, you know, how are you going to choose that attack point? How do you know if it's the best attack point you've chosen? How are you going to always make sure that you choose the best attack point and it's like lots of things to think about so um and that's the other that's the I guess that linking back a little bit to what Kat was saying about orienteering actually being very simple you kind of like when you start thinking how do you know if I've chosen the best attack point how do I know that I'm going to choose the best attack point that also is making it very complicated so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like getting the balance between making it complicated and making it simple 
Uh, yeah, I get you. And also, I mean, I found just from coaching at Lag and Leah the last week, um, when you're coaching people, it does give your own orienteering a bit of a kick up the backside because you're, you're, you know, explaining to people how is the best way to go about something. And then it makes you reflect on your own orienteering. Yeah. But the thing is, I think as well, is that there is no best way to do anything. You just have to try lots of different things and see what works for you. Like, um, and make it the best way for you. Because lots of people like you know lots of people visualize the terrain in different ways and um or just think about a leg in different ways and in a lot of you know some textbooks there's like oh so you should have an attack point work backwards from the control blah blah blah. i mean and that that is a good starting point and you need somewhere to start from but also you need to react to the terrain and like maybe the route you planned isn't the best option for you to go and like things like that so yeah um I think, yeah, you've also got to just try things out for yourself and see what works for you and what doesn't. Yeah, really well put. Um, do you have, you know, anything on, if you had an orienteering bucket list, do you have anything on it? Is there any, are there any events, anything, any places you um, really want to go um, with with the rest of your orienteering in the future? Huh. Um, that's an interesting question. I've not really thought about that. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously a walk medal would be cool, but like, yeah, as a junior, everything I wanted was to be a world champion. Um, mm-hmm. And since becoming a senior, I've I, a walk medal would be really good, but also um, I've realised for me it's more it, more important that I'm happy and putting so much into orienteering doesn't always make me completely happy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing I love about orienteering is just the amazing places you get to go and, like, travelling around... And I think, and tra- yeah, travelling around to different places like Tia Mila and Euclid are amazing. Um, I think if I hadn't done orienteering, I wouldn't have got the opportunity to go into Australia in the kind of like the way mm-hmm. that I did, which was really awesome. I just like going to new, new countries and orienteering. I guess I don't really have any particular com- country, but you, I guess Canada would be cool. Yeah, that sounds that's that sounds like it would be great fun. So obviously, walk coming up. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're doing after walk? So you said you, you mentioned you're going to Bergen to study. Tell us a bit more about that. About that. Oh yeah, so I, as I said earlier, I decided I'd move to Norway and figure out what I actually wanted to do with my life. Um, and yeah, I'm going to start studying physiotherapy in Bergen, um, yeah. which is actually something I've always wanted to study or kind of what I probably should have studied the first time I applied, but I didn't, never mind. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm moving the day after the World Champs. And wow. it will be a bit chaotic, but it will all figure itself out. And yes. I'll be there, should be there probably for four years. From orienteering at least until Christmas. And then I will start making my plans for the next championships, um, which I'm probably going to. Well, I, I have I won't really go for the sprint walk next year, but uh, check in twenty twenty one. I'm quite keen to to um, do so. Yeah, I'll probably start making a plan for training for that. Oh, fantastic. Well, best of luck for the World Championships and the annual move to Bergen afterwards. Sounds like it's going to be a hectic few weeks. Yeah, it probably will be, but it'll be good fun in the end. Yeah, best of luck. 
so that was Charlotte Watson there. Really fascinating insight into um, her preparations for walk, how she's been training, and um, her life in orienteering thus far. Um, knowing Charlotte, as I have since um, we went to Lagunlea together, it's really nice to see that she's been selected for yet another walk. She's living out in Norway, and it's a kind of home walk for her this year. So you know, best of luck to her and the rest of the British team as well. Uh, quick plug, actually, while I can, for the Orienteering Foundation Fund for the GB team. Uh, it's still live. You can still help them out. And the team does really appreciate any support that they can get from from members of the British public. And, yeah, um, thank you for those who have, have supported already and over the last couple of years as well. Uh, well, well said. said. Yeah. And now we're going to launch into a bit of a walk preview. So, Catherine, you'll be over there commentating on it. I will, yes. Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah, we're going to start with a middle distance qualifier on the 13th of August. Um, starts between 10 and 3 o'clock Norwegian time, I believe. Yeah, 10 and 1 o'clock Norwegian time, so they're one hour ahead of us. So that's 9 to nine a.m. to noon for those qualifying qualification rounds, three heats. And it's a bit of a weird one as to how the qualifications work. I haven't 100% wrap my head around it yet it's the top 15 for each heat to qualify and but then they can add up add it up to make 60 in the final in the end if with that like some extra spaces for nations with no automatic qualifiers so if what? you're in the, the east yeah it's it's a complicated rule but i the, the the most simple thing to say is that the top 15 are automatically qualified okay so just be in the top 15 and you don't have anything yes. to worry about correct and if you're not then it gets complicated and i'm going to try and figure my head around it so i can talk about it in the live stream um and those courses actually only have a 25 minute winning time with 3.9k for the women and 4.2k for the men so we will see there's normally there's normally always some sort of drama with qualifiers like at the european championships last summer when only one of the swedish men qualified which was a bit of a shocker and that yeah it's always a bit of a uh, nervous moment will maybe you're in a better place to talk about that ah uh, uh, qualif- qualification is never fun it is, it is never fun someone always misses out no, a mm. big name always goes out um yeah like you say last year at the europeans five of the swedish guys t- didn't make it which for them was a disaster an absolute disaster mm. but it's a weird one because some people know they're in obviously kind of Olav Lundinez is going to know that he's probably pretty safe to, on qualifying, but 15 isn't very many when no. you've got three from each nation. So you've got one one person per heat from each nation. Um, it's going to be pretty tough to get in with a 25-minute winning time. It's going to be very close um, winning margins for everybody. So I think they will have to go all out to, to mm-hmm. actually qualify. Uh, well, certainly not to risk losing out because if you do go a little bit slow maybe and you try and play it tactically i mean and, and there's no point in missing out on the final you're at walk you're there to race it you've got a couple of days rest mm-hmm. before the middle final i don't see any point in not going going all out for it unless you are a guaranteed gold medalist oh i mean i think even then you'd be foolish foolish not to go all in definitely yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's just a str- it's a stressful time because everyone i think qualification's more nervous than a final because once you're in the mm. final i mean you can't affect how anyone else runs so, I mean, your result at the end of the day is just down to you. But in qualifications, I mean, it just feels like there's so much more on the line because mm. you can you can cost yourself the, the chance of a really good result. Because if you qualify in a really good position, let's say 
you, you somehow qualify in the top 10 for the middle final when maybe you're not a top 10 runner normally, then you're suddenly looking at a fantastic position that you might not always get. So it is a bit of a lottery and and some really good results for the final can just come out of the qualification run itself. So it's a pretty nervy time. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure our guys and girls, they've got their heads screwed on. They've been through this process before and, and they know exactly what they need to do. Yeah, let me just remind you who's running the middle distance. It will have Peter Hodgkinson, Matt Speak, Ralph Street and Megan Carter-Davies, Joe Shepard and Kat Taylor. And then the following day, we have the long distance for the Brits. We've got Graham Griswood, Hector Haynes, Joe Shepard and Charlotte Watson. Uh, starts from about 10.30. Flower ceremonies at 10 past four for the men and 20 past six for the women. So that gives you an indication about when... Uh, they'll know some results when everything will be like so just before that the they will expect the results to be wrapped up um i'm not sure exactly what time i'm broadcasting yet but it's not from 10 30. i was gonna say that's a long day <laughs> i'm only doing the last three hours i think or something like that thankfully because um it is a long day and the the long winning times as well actually so it's 11.7 kilometers for the women 16.6 k for the men and the estimated winning times are 80 and 98 minutes so that's i swear that is longer than usual that's on um, the high end of what they're allowed i think i think the women yeah. normally 75 to 80 and the mm. men is 95 to 100 100 or 90 to 100 mm. um so that is quite long and that's yeah so it's 3k for the men longer than we had in the test race in july yeah so there's going to be some people out there for a long time they're going yes. to suffer absolutely yeah with no qualification of course for the long it's just a straight final um and then then we have rest day and then on the 16th of august is the middle final again uh, it's kind of in the afternoon they've got 5.5 and 6.1 kilometers uh, those distances and of course we will just see who of the brits have qualified um hopefully all of them Ho- hopefully <laughs> um and yeah it's going to be a big scrap for those for those medals i think they all should qualify i mean looking at the caliber of people who are racing it there's i don't see any of them not being strong enough to be in that final you know the the women they're all you know, fantastically you know gifted athletes and and they've all been performing very well over the year internationally and domestically and for the guys i mean speakers speakers a solid head he, he knows how to get get through the qualification rounds ralph pete they've, they've done it before you know i don't see any problem with their ability to get through it's just whether they can do it on the day so yeah i i, I think i think they'll all make it and uh, we'll have a very interesting final and maybe a couple of a couple of top 20s hopefully Hopefully. And then we will move the next day on to the relay. And for the Brits, this is really one uh, that both teams are targeting, of course. Uh, the women's is starting first at 20 past four. Again, this is Norwegian time, so that's 20 past three uh, UK time. And the men's starts at half past six. So they've got about, so the legs on the women's are about 4.8k, and maybe the last one's just a bit longer. And the men's is 6k each leg. And again, the uh, last one is that little bit longer and the, the kind of I think we'll be finished up by about half past eight in the evening I know the Norwegians are really excited that we're going to be on prime time TV in Norway very late yeah it's really late every single day and that's I think that's kind of TV times have influenced that and they are really excited to be on prime time TV for the relay which of course for the Norwegian men they've won the relay 
um, I should be able to know, like yeah at least three years in a row um so they really obviously think they're going to be in a good shout for a medal in that race so to show it on um norwegian tv when lots of people are watching would be ideal for them no i can see why they've done that that's obviously it's not as good for the uh the festivities afterwards after you finish but uh <laughs> it, yeah, it makes complete sense for them but I, know, I think, yeah. yeah, the Norwegian men are probably looking odds on to win that one and the Norwegian women probably as well. Mm. And, uh, I mean, maybe maybe a, a gold in both for them. Yeah, it could it could well happen. Um, predictions. Go on, Will. Are you going to go first with some predictions? Uh, well, uh, judging by my last few, I don't think I should <laughs> because I think I'll curse somebody. But, uh, which means I'm going to say the uh, Norwegian men... Um, I think Olav Lundinez will will win the long distance. I can't mm. really see past him for that. Um, I think Ruslan Glebov, as, as we said earlier, I think he'll put in a really good performance. And um, maybe a little bit of a left-field bet. I, I mean, probably not because he is a fantastically strong athlete and is very well recognised internationally, but maybe more for the sprints and for the slightly easier terrain underfoot um but frederick tronchand i think he will um, be getting a couple of medals as well because he's in pretty good shape at the moment um and then for the women yeah tovey alexanderson's hard to bet against but um maybe even laharu of, of finland will, will put in a uh, mm. good shift and um Natal- uh, natalia gimperli as well i think maybe she can hold on to a gold medal from last year in the in the middle distance Sounds good. I want to, I mean, I I don't disagree with any of the the things you said. I want to add some more names, though, into the mix. Gustav Berriman from Sweden cleared up at the World Cup round one. Um, He he's had a bit he's been a bit unfortunate at World Championships over um, the last few years and had a lot of um, had a back injury. But I feel like this is going to be his year. And, you know, if he's able to do what he did in Finland at the first World Cup round, then I mean, he's a shoe in for a medal. I also want want to put Emil Svensk in there. Did really well at Jukola and the selection races and uh, O-Ring in as well. Um, And also Luca Basset from France too. Like they've, the French team are doing really well at the moment. And of course, I mean, Norwegians, yeah, we know they're really good too. And for the women's, I also want to add, um, on top of the names you've mentioned, I want to add Camilla Olarsson, a Norwegian runner. Uh, She really impressed me in... uh, Norway last year at the World Cup and in Finland I think she's got a lot of potential and also Carolyn Olsen from Sweden I think uh, she is a really fantastic runner and uh, she managed to get her first World Cup win I think in the Czech Republic last year and I think she's bound for for great things in when as part of the Swedish team so those are the names I want to also add to the mix Um I think you're gonna see we're gonna see a lot of uh, Scandinavian medals uh, this world championships which is not really a surprise but I, I think we can f- for the Brits I think we can look to I really think in the relay we've got a genuine shot of getting something whether it's a mm. podium or more uh, I think everyone in the team for the for the women and the men is good enough to be on the podium if, if mm. everything goes right and you know, if they keep their heads and I don't see any reason why they can't get a medal you know, we've been fourth or just a bit worse over the last few years and I really think that 
maybe this year it could be our year. It's obviously very tough terrain. It's not something that really suits us too well compared to, say, uh, Denmark. And, yeah, Denmark, exactly. But, yeah, I, I, I've got faith in the team that they can do it. And I think it's a really exciting time. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see how they go. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to be out there, as I said, uh, on the live stream, which you can watch on orienteering.sport. I'm pretty sure there is a subscription uh, for this one, but you do get to hear uh, my wonderful commentary, get to follow all the races and everything as well. I'm sure, I'm sure, Will, you'll be uh, keeping an eye on that. I will be yeah, pretending to do work in the office whilst having a, a, a mini screen watching everything. Um, might try and do a bit of live tweeting if I can. Um, but yeah, sadly, the real world is slightly impeding my uh, my orienteering watching at the moment. But no, I'll be I'll be I'll be supporting everyone in the team, and um, obviously, best of luck to everyone competing out there. And it's great that you know it's it's quite an exciting time. We've got we've got some real shots. So yeah, no, and best of luck to yourself, Catherine, as well. Hopefully, it all goes goes smoothly. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Best of luck to the whole team. So um, next podcast, we will be bringing you uh, everything that's happened at the World Championships, hopefully getting an interview with one of the the members of the World Championships team. And um, yeah, then trying to trying to see what, what the rest of the season uh, leaves for some of the uh, the, our best orienteers so if you want to uh, follow us we are on facebook and we are on twitter we are at the running pod please send us any suggestions for any, anyone you want us to interview or any questions or anything like that please do um spread the word of the run-in to all your uh, club mates and orienteering friends we want to get more and more people uh, listening to the podcast so please do share wherever you can and um yeah it's going to be an exciting couple of weeks for both of us we will see you on the next episode bye